Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. As we've alluded to on our other shows, this offseason, our Crack Rackets team attempted to speak with every Power 5 men's and women's head coach employed throughout the college tennis world. We asked each of them about their team's respective 2021 seasons and what we should expect from them here in 2022. Of course, we also offered them a platform to share their thoughts on some of the big picture topics in college tennis. It is a fantastic series that our team is ecstatic to finally start sharing with the broader college tennis community over the next six weeks. Fans can expect no fewer than 10 episodes a week to be posted on this feed. A huge shout out to our friends at Tennis Point for their support with this series. Remember, go to tennis-point.com right now. Use that promo code CR15 to express your thanks. With all of that said, we're ready to get to today's episode. So Westoff, hit those credits. Let's start today's show. Joining us on the podcast for the first time today is a guest you may know best from his playing career at the University of Memphis. Of course, you may also know him as the 2004 ITA Arthur Ashe Sportsmanship and Leadership Award winner. Of course, I know him now as the head coach of the TCU women's tennis team. Welcome to the show, Coach Lee Taylor Walker. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you, Alex. Kind introduction. It's like throwing it back there. Wow. <laughs> I, I thought you'd like that. Hey, Arthur Ashe Sportsmanship Award winner. That would still be on my refrigerator if I had that award. So I, you got to throw that out there whenever you can. And I, it's not that far back ago that it was still Memphis State University. You guys had rebranded the University me. of Memphis. I love right? me some Memphis State University. They wear those throwback unis yeah. every now and then now. So no, that was a fun time. That was uh, I was grateful for that. Uh, you grow up as a little kid wanting to be all American or national champion or all these things, and uh, those things did not come through for me. I had a decent <laughs> playing career, but uh, didn't get that status. But that was a nice uh, little caveat. You know, some sometimes uh, destiny has it another way. So that was a wonderful experience. The ITA actually does a great job celebrating those annual awards. So that was a great trip and good memory. No, you get the invite, right? It's like at the ITA awards ceremony, it's like, oh, it's 2004 champion, let him in the door. Uh, so, you know, that that always helps. But, you know, I, I do want to start this podcast because I'm always curious when I look at people like you who have spent a lifetime in the sport, what is it about college tennis that you have always gravitated towards? What is it about this sport that, you know, has shaped your career? Yeah, I think it's the potential for life change. You know, you're dealing with 17 to 23 year olds. And so uh, you mentioned that award that that award was really the overflow of a lot of people taking an investment in my life. And so um, my life was not heading in the Arthur Ashe direction, let's just (laughs) say, uh, was not doing so hot. But you know, I had a lot of coaches. I played one year at Clemson, Coach Creasy, he he poured a lot into me. And then Coach Chamberlain, Coach Goble, they really helped shape who I am and other people. And so uh, it wasn't really until early in my assistant coaching career that I thought about it, that I realized, you know what? Wow, like what an opportunity to uh, to help other people. And and so that that's really the core values of 
of why we got into it, of our program, why we do what we do. And uh, because that's what happened to me. So I think that that's what draws me to the college campus. And then, you know, tennis happened to be the, the sport that I was in. And uh, that's what was used to kind of help mold and shape me. And so I think uh, I think those are the great opportunities about being a college coach is to yeah. help these young people. Yeah, no doubt about that. And what's been so fun for me is to see the passion. So, I mean, to a T, every coach expresses for the sport. And like, you know, it sounds obvious in retrospect, you guys are all head coaches. One would imagine you're passionate about your craft. But that to me has been the most revealing thing about this entire process. And, you know, with all that said, you're approaching year number 20 uh, in your coaching tenure, which, you know, just to date you, that's essentially one Alex Gruskin. Bravo to you. Um, but yeah, with, with all of that said, you know, how different was last fall and how difficult did, you know, just last fall, I know you got, you know, some schools were able to do a little bit more than others, but just how difficult was that fall and different compared to, you know, anything else you had been through in your college career? Yeah, well, it actually gets back to what we just talked about, just like the perspective on life and like the people. And so all the tennis, but, but going through that pandemic and having the girls come in that fall you know usually you're talking about oh what tournaments are we going to play how can we get players ranked what pro events can we take them to all this oh you know getting all the equipment ready how can we you know it's all player development and how can we start building our team chemistry that's like how can we assure our players families that they're in good hands that everything's under control that we have good protocols set up so just really different uh but also very character shaping for the whole for the whole group um you mentioned everybody being so passionate about the sport and tennis and everybody wants to win and Mm -hmm. so to have that all happen i think was really really good for for everyone just to take a step back and go like wow um i'm actually getting paid to coach tennis Mm -hmm. and i get to come to work every day and and play tennis i mean what an what an unbelievable what an unbelievable thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, when you look for your team and every team across the country, it's just so fascinating to see what the starts of the season look like for each team. And you look uh, for your team, you guys were able to get a nice little rhythm going at the start of the season. You know, you're able to play four matches right away and, you know, get four, your first four victories of the year, get a couple, a double header in on that opening day as well. Uh, I'm curious, you know, looking through the roster looking through the stats from the year is it singles or doubles that you feel further behind on without that full fall off season because looking overall you play nine doubles teams throughout the course of the year and I think you know all of them in a pretty similar amount of match ranges right it's not like everyone's playing one off or whatever I'm curious you know what is the most difficult part about that you know what what are the things you guys are trying to establish in the fall that you weren't able to perhaps last year yeah well you know, the, the last couple of years have been hard for a lot of reasons. You know, um, we've we had two players turn pro a couple of days before the spring semester. We had um, our, our top player go down with the ACL injury and another player have their third wrist surgery. So those things really make you think way outside the box. And so <clears throat> this fall, you know, fall 21, are you asking what's been very different? Yeah, I'm curious. What's one, been the difference? Well, the, the biggest difference in the last three years has been right now, we actually have nine players happy and healthy <laughs> that are coming. And so 
I think before I used to take that for granted, you know, I feel like I'm pretty systematic. I feel like I've got these philosophies and this coaching, oh, we're going to, let's instill these things. But, uh, you know, when you have the players that you want Mm -hmm. and the players are getting along and they're all healthy, uh, there's a lot that can happen. So that's the biggest difference going into this spring Mm -hmm. that, and so this, this, you know, this past fall was, was amazing. We, we scheduled a lot different. We, we took a lot of players to pro events. Um, you know, our philosophy is that, you know, the fall is for their goals, not my goals. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, that's what, that's what we do. And so we had a great fall, uh, our big thing though, before we got into all of our double strategy, single strategy, you know, how we're gonna, you know, how, do, what's our approach philosophy was like real simple, happy, and healthy and so that has taken us i'm so excited about this spring and that's the main reason and i think we're going to have a a good year so um now because that's established and we actually have everyone happy and healthy uh, i think we'll take the two weeks of the spring and play around with a lot of doubles lineups we have some that are already set you know i let my players come in and say a lot you know, if I have two players come in and they walk in together and they say, I want to play doubles together with this person. And it's like, okay, y'all want to play together. Well, I'm, I'm not, I'm not afraid to let that ride together. Um, obviously we need to have a big picture view and have a say in what's going on, but, um, yeah, that's fine. So you used an interesting phrase, uh, in your last answer, you talk about, and I think I'm going to steal this, the spring being about we, the fall being about me in terms of individual development. I really like that. And as you can tell, I'm six year old, four year old. I know that's right up my alley. So clearly you're, you're speaking my language here, but you know, you, you mentioned playing all these pro events and I think your team played four of them. And obviously it helps to have Lubbock, Redding, Norman, Austin, all relatively nearby, but what leads the, to that? And the, fifth, and the fifth one that we hosted. We hosted. Oh, yeah, of course, which yeah. isn't on the schedule. Duh, that, that's yeah. an oversight by me. Hey, great shot. But, um, you know, playing five pro events, that I, I, as opposed to playing hidden duels, as opposed to doing other things, what leads to that scheduling decision? Uh, well, you know, there's, well, I would say hidden duels, yeah. great format, great preparation for the spring. Um, but, you know, you, you it's still a, uh, back to back to back days. And, you know, we had still, we had players still recovering from, from injuries. And so, you know, our thing is just to literally keep it wide open and sit down with every player and go, what do you want? So what do you want? You want to play You want, I want to be a pro. Okay. All right. Well then let's schedule the pro events. Um, I want to be nationally ranked in college. Okay. Well then that you're going to need to play these events and so on and so on. You know, I think the, I do think the benefit of the pro tournaments though are multi in that one, you're not playing tons of matches in the same day. Okay. And so there is a, there is this, you know, idea that I can go about my day very professionally. I can take care of my body you know, they're playing with regular duty balls as well. And so there's just not as much wear and tear. Um, and having come on the heels of three years of injuries, it's like just a lot more attractive to us uh, to go go there. You know, the other advantage just psychologically is, you know, if you're doing well in those events, it's like, okay, like that that's going to translate well to college. You, there should be some confidence building uh, there. So that's one area. And then another area is like, 
you know, most of those players do want to do well in college as well. You know, they want to be pros and build their WTA ranking, and but they do want to do well. Well, you know, if they're returning from injury or if they're, they don't feel quite ready, it's like, you know, they're maybe not taking losses that will impact their chances at NCAs in May. Um, and so it, it really is a more process oriented approach we feel. Um, and that's kind of the route we're going to lean towards. And so it's definitely not a anti college tennis thing or anti it's, it's more of a, a player first and you decide where to go. And so we've been very fortunate that TCU has been supportive of that. So we've, we've, we've flown girls to the Caribbean, to Canada, to Mexico for pro events. So there's really no, uh, and it's been fun. And so, you know, I got to plug my assistant coach here who was a, uh, on the ATP WTA tour as a traveling coach for seven years. So, um, that does, uh, help a lot because it's not easy. I mean, you're flying one way to these tournaments and you're, you're taking it day by day. And then, so it's not cheap and you got to have the manpower to, to be able to sustain it. So that's kind of our reasoning. Hope that helped answer your question. No, it, it does because it leads more broadly to something I've been trying to explore with all of these Power Five coaches: is what is the role of the college tennis fall? Are we holding the fall in an optimum way? And I had one coach, and I feel like now at this point, listeners take a shot every time I mention this Josh Goffey idea. But he was, you know, completely, you know, pretty, uh, complete revolutionary thought of. What if you changed the the roles and you had the fall for the team dual match season and you used the spring for the developmental period and the individuals and all these different stuff and you know kids can go out and play pro events all of this different thing in the schedule and I'm just curious you know obviously the fall is for the development I guess my question is is the schedule as currently comprised the optimum way to have that development, right? Is it good to be able to play this blend of pro events, the ICA regionals? Should there be room for hidden duels? You know, are we doing the fall the right way? I'm curious your views on that. Whew. I mean, that's so loaded. I, <laughs> yeah. um, I, <clears throat> Josh Goffey was my team captain my freshman year at Clemson. So really? <laughs> I, yeah, he was a, he was a stud. Yeah. Um, and he was a super strong, just leader for our team and a great mentor to me on even throughout coaching. So I don't know if I can disagree with Josh uh, because of that. <laughs> I still feel in his, his seniority. As yeah, my he's your freshman, senior. Yeah. my freshman person speaking up to. So um, I, I think that, I think that there are so many different ways that you could go with the fall season <laughs> that we have to maximize it for the individual i mean it's hard because you're trying to build these national brands yeah. but one of the things that i take very seriously is how do i how do i love and serve my community in fort worth and dfw with tennis mm -hmm. and so what 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 is going to reach also this community and if everybody were to take that approach on their campus it's going to look so different so i feel like this is always why there's this hang up in in how to make the national brand better uh because all these individual communities and individual programs just have so many different strengths and weaknesses um so um you hear a lot of people talk about the strength is the dual matches the strength is the dual matches if that's the case then we just need to position that where it will be highlighted the most where it's not 
uh, going to be drowned out with other sports and then maybe not dive so deeply into the other season, uh, kind of pour gas on the fire. Um, and then highlight those players after the fact, you know, Cameron Norrie's impact on TCU men's and women's tennis has been incredible. And, and to see what he's done the last couple of years, I mean, this community, this tennis community here in Fort Worth, because of his success is great. And Devin and David took a, a you know, they took a lot of flack for how they managed him sometimes, you know, because he wasn't playing in some of the big events. Um, but I think look at what he's giving back now to college tennis and would that have happened you know, he was in the top 300 enrolled. It's, it's like, that's not easy to do if you don't have a collaboration with your coaches. So I, I just think it's a really, uh, really tough decision. And um, I think what, whatever you feel like it's going to impact your community and what your university is going to get behind, you've got to go for that. Some universities are not for this, this pro push during college. And so for those coaches, I can see why they would not want to, to push that. Um, we were fortunate to be at a place where they do. So, yeah, no, and of course, what I've learned through this process, you get forty nine point nine percent of coaches to agree on anything. You will never get fifty percent. Like, just that's <laughs> yeah. never going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah. But and you can understand why every program is a bit different. But you know, it, it's obviously so fascinating to hear you talk about you know the Cam Nori comparison there, and you know. Obviously, it always hurts me to bring up Nori because once upon a time, the real ones know he was committed to my Wolverines. I was actually there when he visited campus. It was my freshman year of college. And I'm like, did I not do a good enough job? Is this on me? Like, he didn't like our experience. Um, but, you know, it, it's so one other tool, you know, because I'll, I'll ask you about this later in further depth. But to me, it's, you know, providing a platform, college tennis, in terms of if you really want to continue to grow the game, it's the connectivity between the various levels juniors filters into college filters into futures challengers pros and making a connective thread between all of those tours so that fans inherently become more interested in all of them the way for me to do that in the college realm and it's a pipe dream i want to be clear here i'm i'm dreaming big as i'm sure you have learned uh here at our first 10 minutes but uh you know i just ncaa individuals moving to the fall I, I have no, and I know this is a big question, I have no issues with it, but in my opinion, if you're going to do it, you got to get it on the second week of the U.S. Open. Because you think of people like the Cam Norries of the world, the Danielle Collinses of the world, of course, most prominently, but even, you know, the Stella Perez-Somaribas and the Paul Jubbs of the world. To, put, to give college tennis that platform, to me, is the, way you, the biggest way you grow the game. And so are you saying you would want to move the U.S. Open back? later or you're saying you would want to just have it right out of the gates in the fall i would put nca individuals yeah that second week of the u.s open you just have it right out of the gates in the fall and i know that gets a little bit difficult because 0.1 percent of athletic departments would be willing to sponsor a senior to come back to play an event after they graduate and from a rankings perspective it gets a little tricky although we can get to the rankings in a second but to me like that that's how you that's how you grow the game is it's yeah. it's the connectivity between levels and i think like that to me is the biggest opportunity for growth so it's interesting to hear you talk about you know some coaches some programs aren't receptive to you know searching out the pros while in college yeah well again i know there's I, a lot there by the way well that was a lot yeah, yeah that was a lot you threw in michigan 
So you, you did subtly. say your your alma mater, Michigan, which made me. I've got a question for you. Okay. Okay, and then I'll I'll circle back and answer your question. Um, but you won a national championship in 2017. <laughs> I don't know if our do a lot of our listeners understand this or know at, at this. least once so, an episode they know it. Okay. Well, good. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask you, like, what you know? I think the formation of championship teams is relative across all levels, all sports, all brand. What, what are some of the things that you think are, were, were relevant in the formation of that championship season for you? And so I'm putting you on, how would you coach the college coaches based on your championship experience? Cause let's be honest, there's about 350 college coaches out there right now that have not won a championship, including Yours truly right here. So give it to me, Alex. Well, I want to know the I want to know the secrets. I want you to know that this whole series was a setup to get one of you to ask me this question. So thank, thank you. you. We I'm achieved here. we're not doing any more power five interviews, players, <laughs> uh, coaches, fans. We're done. Um great question. Uh well, it starts <laughs> This is not I'm, a joke, by the I way. Know, I, I can't got... believe I'm answering this seriously, but I'm going to answer this seriously. Okay. Pen right here. I'm ready. Starts with recruiting, and you have to be cutthroat. I'll share these stories. I don't think I've shared these with the listeners, but yeah, let's have some fun here. Okay. A, my older brother, whom I love dearly, will forever love dearly. Harshest critic of the show, but big, most important influence. He, while he's two years older than me in school. Um, three years older overall. I'm smarter than him. That's my way of saying that. Um, but he had a real job at a firm called, uh, I think it's E&Y or BCG, Ernst & Young or Boston yeah. Talent Group, whichever one he was at at the time. And he had just started full-time there. And there was a girl in my grade named Laura Ukrostez, who used to be a top 35 junior in the world and played at Michigan and tore her ACL either her freshman or sophomore year. And she got into the business school, and she was like, you know what, I'm good Like with varsity. I'm just going to ride this out, get my degree, keep my scholarship, be a professional human, not anything in tennis. And, you know, she was working there that summer. And her and my brother started talking. They ended up dating for, like, three years. They've sadly broken up since. She's still my sister forever, but, like, I was ready to call her the next one. Um, and that summer, my brother was like, oh, there's this girl, whatever. And I was like, dude, like that's our missing piece. I was like, I'm like, whatever you have to do, like, or if you're not willing to do it, I will like, so please put me in a position to get this girl on the roster. And so we did. And like, I mean, right away, because club tennis, the format, you play five sets. It's like world team tennis. Um, So men's singles, men's doubles, women's singles, doubles mixed. It's like when you go into mixed doubles and as the guy, you are clearly not the best player on the court. Like, (laughs) That's always helpful. That's always super, super helpful. And, like, I will definitively remember UCLA semifinals. They're up 2-1, and you play men's and women's doubles simultaneously. And they get hooked for a third time in a row. And Laura didn't say a word. Like, she didn't try in half the matches because she's like, I don't want to embarrass anyone. I just want to win. And so, but these girls hook her three times in a row. So she she comes up to them and she goes, oh. I didn't know this was the girls' 12s. Okay. And, oh, like, it's the oh. first smack talk she said the entire season. Oh, and, man. And, like, 
They win four straight games in about seven minutes, set over, 6-1, and it's like, oh, we're winning this thing. Like, so that, was that, that's the recruiting piece, and was that the cutthroat piece? So that's the it? recruiting piece, and the cutthroat comes in my doubles partner, Max Rothman, who's a year younger than me in school. Uh, you know, my freshman year, I had made the travel team because I'm really good at tennis. Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, I'm solid. But uh, I had a different doubles partner who was solid, but like, you know, we were good, not great. Good, not great. The tryout process was at the time that you would play with a bunch of different teammates and you mix around till whatever and you do total games okay. accumulated. And I'm not even kidding. Our first game together, like I looked at him and I go, dude, like, and he did it too. He was like, whoa. And because in doubles, you know, it's like any yeah. relationship. Yeah. I, I hope these were the details you're looking for. Yeah, um, I love and, it. Bring yeah. It. And so you, I just, I like, I knew. I was like, you're the one. <laughs> And like I was like slow motion. You were yeah. like cue the slow motion music. Yeah, exactly. And so here's where it gets cutthroat. Three okay. two deuce point. We win this. We're the doubles team. Like we don't have to think about it anymore. And I had already clinched my spot, but we were looking for that second half because I had the most games. Whatever. Because I took it most seriously. Let's be honest here. Um, and three two deuce point. I'll never forget the backhand that he hit. Short angle. Was it in? Maybe. But I called it out because I saw my future flash before, like, my life. I was like, this is... So I called it out, and I, like, didn't feel good about it. But right away, Max called it out as well, and he backed me immediately. And I was like, this was the decision. Like, he's got my back. Cutthroat. We've got it. We are a partner for life. He helps me start the podcast. The hubris from that championship leads me to where I am now. That's full circle cutthroat recruiting. And then, yeah, we loved each other. Uh, we spent a I, lot of time together. I mean, I love it. Recruiting, cutthroat, and ELE. Everybody yeah. loves everybody. Okay. <laughs> and by it. the way, no other coach would have ever given you those insights. Uh, no. So that's, that's unique. No. Uh, no, but. I love it. Yeah. And the, the cutthroating, the cutthroat was, it sounds like dodgy call, perhaps. Uh, I'm uh, just saying embrace the hook. Embrace okay. the camaraderie. Wow. No, wow. embrace the that's hook. Strong. I'm just. I guess it was Strong more like message. the backing. It was the, yeah, that's a tough message to the fans. It was more like <laughs> when you have a partner who you know, like, has your back unequivocally. Because he was like well, far sideline. And he's the one who goes, oh, yeah, clearly out. I love and that. And I was like, yep, I was like, I love I you. I love We're that. In. That's amazing. Well, that's huge. That's that's great. No, yeah, I appreciate so the, you sharing that. That's, so, yeah, find an older brother who's more talented professionally than you is the takeaway from the first part of the story. Ride the coattails of a top 35 junior, which actually there's some truth there. Um, and yeah, then cutthroat. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. This is our season because yeah. of it. Let's, let's, let's circle it all back to this day. Okay. This podcast. Okay. <laughs> when we have the best season we've had. Okay. Mm-hmm. In several years. Okay. Well, you just, let's circle it back. You've yeah, already got I- offered that one volunteer assistant position, but <laughs> we can maybe. Was that on the men's side or the women's? I, you know, I don't want to violate the trust of those coaches uh, because negotiations okay. are ongoing. And, uh, like, you know, okay, I don't wow. want to. Yeah, so, wow. you know. I'll I'm, have my agent call your agent. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, we'll just it. make sure it's I, – I love Parsa, but it's got to be a Woj tweet. I want the full Woj experience. Okay. I'm not even okay. Parsa. I need Alex Gruskin's agent tells Adrian Wojnarowski that. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> so, We're on page two of the notes, <laughs> by the way. This is not good. This is good. This is exactly how I saw this podcast going. So this we are not good. Yeah. We're, yeah, we're hitting all the check marks. Um, no, I mean, 
Yeah. The, you, I think like that, uh, that that went way off from yeah. I think you were talking about uh, So the common thread here, NCAA championships, US Open, and you talk about again titles. The other really cool thing that brought out our best performance, and I suppose this will be how I tangent it all, is we absolutely embraced the atmosphere. And like we were one of the first events at the USTA national campus back in twenty seventeen. Back then, Lake Nona was three hotels, the national campus and the airplanes flying overhead. Like, that's all it was in 2017. Yeah. And we got to play on, like, the center court, you know, the two center courts. We got to play yeah, on one of them, amazing. that environment. And obviously, I think that stage was such a cool platform. That's helped me solidify where it's like, I need tennis in my life still. Yeah. I think the U.S. Open could do that for college tennis. Like, I yeah. do think that would be the ideal platform. And to me, if you're going to move it to the fall, that's what the ambition has to be. Like, yeah. it has to really be shooting big. Yeah, that's a great idea. No, that's a that's a great idea. They, you know, they did some of that a little bit with the top eight um, mm-hmm. Americans a while back. They were having some of the exhibitions. They would have the top eight Americans in college tennis. Uh, mm-hmm. The collegiate, uh, right? The American the collegiate, collegiate, the collegiate team, or whatever. Team. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think that's a great idea, and it's great for the players to be in that environment too. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's I, w- I wouldn't oppose that. I think um, you know you you touched on something that I hope that we're doing here. And I, I feel like we are, and I hope many, as many universities as possible, but how do you tie all that in together? You know, so we have uh, 27 courts here. We try to have a junior championships, adult championships, professional tournaments, college tournaments. And um, there's a lot of work that goes into that, but I do think that helps streamline a lot of the fan base a little bit so that they can see those steps because there's too many um, communities where it's, it's really fragmented. You know, the junior tennis Academy is way over here. The college team is over here. The adults are way over here. The pros are over there and it's, it's really fragmented. So I think Lake Nona has done a good job of that. We're able to do that here at our tennis center because of the amount of courts. I know not everybody can do that, but they could probably do it a lot better than you would think. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't mean to cut you off, but you've nailed something on the head. And I swear we're going to talk your team. We're going to talk TCU tennis. We'll get into the nitty gritty. But more broadly, something I've been exploring recently is does college tennis have a product problem or does it have a marketing problem? And I don't mean to say that the marketing's not good, but in terms of growing the sport moving forward, do we need to worry about what the product looks like or do we have to worry about what the marketing looks like and how can we all get better at that? And to something you touched on there that I would love to hear you expand on because I think other coaches would love to know how you guys do it down at TCU is you guys really have formed the Fort Worth tennis community and you talk about doing it at the junior level, the adult level you know, building the roots in the community so that people feel invested in, mm-hmm. in TCU tennis. I don't want to say, is that the solution everywhere? But when you talk about the marketing for college tennis, is grassroots, in your opinion, the approach to take? You know, what, how do you guys build in that community to where juniors yeah. through adults are coming out to all these matches? Yeah, I think, well, I would say the marketing piece yeah. is 90% because David Roditi. I mean, the guy built the community here. Literally, he did a great job as a player himself back in the day. And then he came back. And so I think it's also the person behind the marketing, you know. And so if you look at your passion that you have, it's really hard to replicate that into someone else. Like you own that. 
you own it for yourself for cracked rackets you bring that to the table and you are you know really helping it a lot david roditi did that here i mean mm -hmm. i know that before i got here his team in terms of their ranking was they weren't they were doing okay they were mm -hmm. kind of mediocre they were a borderline team but he didn't let up on building into the community and so some of the things that really like took me by surprise right when i got here was all of the things that he would do i mean a lot of people think oh well you know the tcu you know marketing and and but david built his support system of people and then he really spearheads a lot of the stuff that you see and so i think those are the people that you just have to identify and i think as college tennis gets more competitive I think a lot of coaches want to remove themselves from that and say, oh, okay, well, we're power five. We have marketing departments. We have all these people, but you're not going to replicate um, the same passion that you have into um, perhaps an administrator or a, and so instead of being, you know, discouraged by that or frustrated, you know, I think David's a great example of how you just take the initiative and be proactive. And so we've tried the, the phase that we're in now is that, we've tried to uh build a, a tennis community so Ari at my end when i got here was like i want to host tournaments you don't have 27 courts in one location and not host tournaments all the time so that was one of the things i feel like i brought to the table was how do we host any and every utr event ita event um and pro event that we can mm -hmm. um and so that's where i would say the women's side here at tcu tennis really uh that's kind of our area of expertise or what we try to pursue and then david's side is he kind of just keeps doing he he's a he's a great personality he's great for college tennis pro tennis tennis of all kinds but he he does it like he does a lot of the work and so um i think that's what we all need to understand and i'm guilty of it and a lot <laughs> of college coaches are guilty of it it's like oh why does my marketing department not do it? it's like no 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 let's go let's let's take the initiative and and your players love it too when you create that environment for them so and you talk um, about hosting events is that just professional are you guys doing you mentioned the utrs are you doing juniors as well because something to me that i think is so formative and i think nil creates this opportunity for every community and i know you know half the time these podcasts just come come down to me pushing agendas but like if i'm a college tennis coach now I'm contacting every local club within a 30-mile radius and saying, hey, $10,000 a year, you can get one different player on my roster to show up each and every week and just to, to your group clinics. And just I think getting those junior faces, those 8- to 12-year-olds in front of these college tennis players, they'll idolize them immediately. And it's totally. like, is that what you guys are doing? Because, again, when you're looking for models of success, not to butter you guys up, but like clearly something's buzzing in Fort Worth. Well, we have um, we have over 95 juniors in the junior program at the campus. That's awesome. So that's um, that's gone up and we have a built in fan base, right? It's a built in fan base. And it's also it stems. It's a year round thing. It stems from mm -hmm. camps. We had over 350 campers last summer. And so some of those overflow, it just it does start to build. You know, they get to practice on the same courts as Cameron Nori when he's back in town. It's like we literally had a summer camp one week and Cameron's here training all week and 
it's like that that was pretty much the camp's morning session it's like okay hey y'all we're gonna sit over here we're gonna get y'all some popcorn and you're gonna watch this guy oh and by the way he went to school here and played here <laughs> so um and then no we host utr we're gonna host a utr junior championships in april uh one of their they're starting the regional and national championships we're gonna host those um you do have to have the courts i mean we have 22 outdoor courts five indoor courts so that certainly helps, you know, um, we had the UTR pro event come in, they need four courts, they can pretty much self-sustain their tournaments. And so I'm kind of an any and all approach. Can you yeah. run a junior academy? Run it. Can you do a good adult clinic? Do it. I mean, it may not be directly you, but all of that has got to feed into helping the program and uh, players love to play in front of fans. And so if you can, if you can have that fan base there, it's great. No, it, it, what's been so, again, revealing about this series as well is you think coaches are just X's and O's and they're thinking about the lineups all the time and they're just, you know, what, how do I get to four points? That's my job. And it's like, yeah, that's part of the job. But then there's also finding the fans and budgeting yeah. out the roster and doing the, all these different things. And that's what's been so exciting to explore. With that said, let's get back to the X and O's. Let's okay. talk about your team last season and you look overall and you talked about some of the health issues you guys had throughout the course of the year, but you know, nine and 13 overall for your team. The big thing that stood out to me and I, I warned you beforehand, you might swear at me. This is the question where it may happen, you know, two and five in four, three matches throughout the course of the year. Um, obviously your team's coming really close in a lot of different uh, matches. And I think I looked overall throughout the season. The only time you were on, you know, the other end of a shutout was at Oklahoma state at, you know, and against Texas. So you're only shut out twice. You're competitive. And just about every match you guys are playing, you know, I, how how close is this team to getting back to the NCAA tournament? You know, what what growth did you see from them throughout last season? Yeah, well, we we've got we've got a healthy team, which is great. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people, um, it, some of that was it wasn't expected. I would say going into last spring, all those four three losses, and you can add another one. Really, we had a match point on that LSU one on the mm -hmm. match that didn't finish, and so. You know, we you really can trace a lot of that back to just the roster availability. Yeah. Uh, you know, so Elisa Solaveva, who's a, a graduate student senior this year, you know, her first match for TCU last year was a win over Peyton Stearns. Mm -hmm. And then a week later she tore ACL. So that's not a bad win. You know, she that girl's <laughs> that girl's decent. I think their team did okay last year. <laughs> I'm not sure. Um <laughs> So whenever you have a player like that go down early, it is kind of a gut punch, but that happened in September, October. So we knew that was a big hit on us going into the season and we had time to gather ourselves a little bit. And then um, Alexis Fedekanen, who also played one and two for us a year before she, she went down with another wrist surgery. And so we found that out at the end of November. So that happened in the fall. And so the good thing about that happening, not like abruptly right at the beginning of the season was that we really did have this time to look at our girls and be very honest and embrace the fact that this was going to be a challenge uh, with these two top players down but that, you know, what do we have to lose? Let's go for it. So right out of the gates, that Texas A&M match came down to a 4-3 loss on the last court, 6-3 in the third, I believe. And that that actually was a very hopeful match mm -hmm. uh, because going into that, it's like, well, man, this, this spring could be kind of ugly. And so 
our team stayed super positive and just kept showing up and fighting and fighting every single match. And that, that attitude all the way throughout the spring has really built a resilience that is there. And so it's almost like we just know it's, we just know we're going to have a good year. Um, Mm -hmm. We kind of want to fly under the radar though. So we're a little bit kind of like, don't really, even like when you asked to do this, I kind of, I I wanted to obviously, and this is super like amazing that you would invite us to to do it. But there was part of me that's like, oh man, let's just stay under the radar. Nobody thinks we're any good. And, and, and like, let's just keep it that way. And, and so now I think we're going to be really good. Uh, We're going to be very strong. I mean, if you look at some of those matches, a four, three loss to Baylor who finished top 10 and we're winning at one, two, and three. And so there's, there's a, there were a lot of positive signs last year in so many ways. Um, losing is never fun. It's not, you probably have not have one coach going here and say, Oh man, they thoroughly enjoyed those four, three <laughs> losses or not making the tournament or whatever. But uh, no, we're, we're really excited. We're happy. We have former players doing well too, like on pro tour. And that's something that, you know, maybe in the current season, you don't get, a lot of credit for because there's so much focus on did your team make NCAs? Did this happen? This happened, but I mean, we've had a lot of off court or non-college dual season wins that sure. that really keep our spirits high and positive. And so, but yes, we, we are looking forward to a healthy season. And if we're healthy, I think that's just the key because we, we have people at every position in the lineup that that feel like they should win at at the highest level. So mm-hmm um the belief is there let's just stay healthy and get it going so yeah. we're, no we're pretty- yeah no i was gonna say absolutely i didn't mean to cut you up but you look at the team and yeah you guys had a bunch of success in a bunch of different places last season and uh, to your point you're bringing back pretty much the entire nucleus i know you know marie's gone i know tate's gone as well but everyone else you know who got playing repetitions last year comes back to your team this season and I want to nerd out a little bit and talk some doubles with you. And, you know, for the record, last year, you guys had nine different doubles pairings play, which for the record is about 50th percentile. That's pretty okay. much the median. Uh, I'm curious, though, is that a byproduct of the injuries? Are you searching for continuity, trying to get everyone on the system? What goes into that nine pairing number? Um, yeah, like just just injuries play a lot in that. Sure. You know, I believe we had different beyond the season ending injuries, I think we had three other girls that were out four to five weeks at different times. And so that that's probably the biggest factor because we really want to have a growth mindset with our, our doubles pairings. And once there is an initial set, I like to keep it there and let's work through it. You know, not, not, not forever, but I don't think it's fair to jump ship so quickly. Uh, There needs to be, so we start though with, Hey, if you want to walk into my office with a teammate and y'all are both on the same page and you both want to play with each other, I'll, we'll give it a go. Uh, but, you know, sometimes you, you'll you get those one-off conversations with one player and they're like, I want to play doubles with her. And it's like, well, does she want to play with you? <laughs> it's like, cause that kind of has to, you know, that kind of has to work. So we start there, obviously we've got, we've got two nationally ranked doubles players returning now with different partners. Alexis Fedekanen is coming back. From she hasn't played in two years, but the last time she played, she was a top ten doubles player with uh, Ellie Douglas, mm-hmm. and you know, and then we've got Stevie Kennedy who ended nationally ranked last year, 
So we, I could see them playing some together. Uh, I know that they've got some really high goals and they've got the experience that has kind of proven that they can do that at that level. So I wouldn't be surprised if they get a look. They both have been around each other for four years and they, uh, they want to play with each other. And then outside of that, yeah, it's just, it's just pairings. You know, we paired up our two Spaniards last year, you know, and they created a lot of excitement. And so there's so many things that can go into that. Um, but uh, I'm trying to learn to have a little bit more of a loose grip with that stuff and uh, let them really have some ownership there. Because no, you, you touched on it with your own team, you know, you, you touched on it with your own team uh, that, that your, your, your partner had your back. Yeah. And if that's not there, I don't care how good they are. Like yeah. you got to have each other's back and belief. So no, a hundred percent. I mean, chemistry is half the battle. I mean, not to make this about me again, but since we can make it about me, let's do it. Uh, yeah, no, it's just, you know, the days where it's like one of you is off and the other one's dragging you over the finish line. But to be able to say, don't worry, I, I see it to be able to have that conver- candid conversation of, don't worry. I know you're off today. I got you. Or, Hey, this yeah. is all we need from you today. Like just focus on this one thing. Yeah. That is the difference, particularly in the Russian roulette style. That is college tennis doubles nowadays. And, yes. you know, with that in mind to fully nerd out here, I feel like there has been a de-emphasis on the surf and volley. Now, of course the men's game, women's game have always been a bit different in doubles, but I'm curious if you stress the serve and volley as a coach in the way, perhaps it was once impressed upon you. Uh, or the way you've seen it coached, you know, earlier in your tenure. Like, I feel like that is something that's gone away a bit. Sure, sure. I mean, I was a serve and volleyer. That's mm-hmm. what I morphed into. And so uh, I was kind of a weird blend of a counter-punching serve and volleyer. That's what I called <laughs> it. So um, uh, I'm for it. You know, mm-hmm. it, th- there's got to be the level of confidence and belief that they have to execute it. I mean, I think one of the reasons that you see so much so much less of it even in college tennis in doubles is because you know you've got a set to six no ad scoring there's not much time to be like imaginative and creative and like oh let's try it's like no we kind of need to play our a game like what we know we're confident with so that that hurts a little bit i think the doubles development serve and volley development but um no if they if they if they have the skill set to do that I think we're probably going to have two. Uh, we'll probably have two, whether they play together or not, will be interesting to see. But mm-hmm. I know that we'll have two of our starting six doubles players. We'll, we'll throw in a little certain volley. And I've got one girl who's starting to throw it in a little bit in singles. So that's fun to see. Yeah. I, mean, I'm, I'm a big, I think it's going to circle back around in the men's game. Um, it, on the single side, obviously, it's there a lot in, in double side. But I would like mm-hmm. to see it come back. No, I agree with you. I think the best feeling on a tennis court is a, just a spike, like just a slam dunk doubles overhead. One where you know your your partners hit a good serve. There's just this floating piece of cake coming your way, and you just get to spike. Yeah, it you you I, you know I did my homework. I know what your fate. You're, there's, you said something like, "There's nothing like an ad side poach." Yeah, <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> the inside forehand for a righty when it's just the best feeling in the world, and you're just like, "I." I so I played tennis this weekend the first time in too long and i'm still feeling the repercussions of that decision <laughs> but i got to play some doubles and like first forehand poach put away i was like oh yeah that feels good i was like oh i hadn't done that in a while yeah, uh it's still and there. So, yeah nowadays some people listen to the podcast that we play with so they like expect me to not suck and it's like well you know like i'm retired now um and so i gotta it, it was it was something i think it's, that's where i i hurt the hip 
Just point them to the championship trophy. Yeah. You you. I say, go watch the YouTube clip. That's what I always say. You want to see the good stuff? Yeah, go watch the YouTube. But, you know, with all that said and, you know, the ability to, to play through mistakes and find continuity in the lineup, uh, I want to talk about the schedule you guys put together yeah. this year. Obviously, it's a tricky one. You guys have LSU early. You go to Alabama, to Texas A&M, a trip up to Wisconsin. I know, you know, Houston, UTSA coming on the road as well. And that's all before uh, even we think about that Big 12 schedule. Is the 500 rule something you think about when you put together your schedule? And I'm curious, I know last year they waived the 500 rule, which you have to be 500 better to get into the NCAA tournament. Is that something you'd like to see put away forever? I would. Yeah, I would. Yeah, I don't, I don't, we follow it because it's there. So you yeah. always, you know, the last three years, the injuries have taught me that you need to be prepared for anything. And so we have to schedule based on that. Uh, but at the, yeah, I would definitely like to see that go away. I think it would free up a lot of your scheduling and just allow more marquee matchups that that are better for fans. Uh, I think, unfortunately, there's a lot of teams that don't play each other because they just can't afford it. Or you'll see this, you know, you'll see people schedule a doubleheader after a tough match that you think, oh, we could win this one or lose this one. So let's schedule a dub- doubleheader after it. So that, And that's just... Um, it's not, it's not a good thing we should be doing for the student athlete kind of welfare and stuff. So, uh, I'm not, I'm not really for the 500 rule, uh, but it is there. And so we'll, we'll schedule to, to build around that, but we're looking forward to our schedule. You know, I, um, our staff has done a great job of looking at the details of the four. I was on the ranking committee for a long time. So I would say for, for, this, this schedule is probably one of the best we've put together in terms of everything that you have to navigate. Okay, I've got a lot of players returning from injury, so we have to be smart in how we start, and and we, we need to build some confidence, and we need to get people used to be back out there, but then we also don't want to go too long before playing you know, somebody strong that really tests where we're at. So we like that LSU match coming out of the gates after a few, and... Um, we know they're going to have a good squad, but that was a, another four-three barn burner for us. So pretty much everybody on our schedule we've seen, mm-hmm. and there's you know not going to be many two surprises. And so that's why it was so interesting to see two double headers in the first two weeks of the season. Is that just hey we have an injured like an injured team, a team returning from injury? Let's get I, as many people reps as possible. Yes, yes, that's exactly what it is. Is mm-hmm. like. Let's just, you know, there's so many weird things that happen in a college tennis dual match that if you have people that haven't played in a while, they just forget. It's like, oh, we got to do the, the 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 doubles warm up and here's our doubles drills that we do right before. Oh, and by the way, run over there and line up for national anthem. And then there's the team breakdown and which team's going to have the better breakdown, you know, I mean, because <laughs> whoever has the better breakdown, you you're know, up you're up one oh, it's done. It's- <laughs> So you've got to get that fixed first. So, yeah, I mean, just to have all those reps and then even the post doubles point meeting. I mean, there's so many things that are just so strange that you mm-hmm. haven't done for eight months that you're like, OK, like we need to get everybody comfortable with with how things work on a college dual match day. So that's why we do all those. And um, I don't want anyone to be distracted by that when we get to some of our bigger matches. Who gets in more teams to the NCAA tournament this year, the SEC or the Big 12? Because when I look at your conference this year, I mean, the depth is like 
thing number one that stands out. It's like it's yeah. not just Texas, you know. Yeah, either. percentage based. Tech. I think we do. I think yeah, right. got a lot. More, they've got a lot more numbers, so probably them. What do you? Is, is it nine Big Twelve women's schools? Eight, we got no. we got ten. 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 Yeah, up to yeah. ten. You guys are getting back there. Yeah, with ten. What are we up against though? Fourteen, sixteen, yeah, something like that. Yeah, that sounds yeah. about right. Yeah, no, that, that's strong. We're looking forward to the LSU, Alabama, Texas A&M matches. You know, mm-hmm. like you said on your podcast, there's so many good coaches out there, and it's it's uh, winning is not easy. Winning is hard. So, don't is the biggest difference between now and say 2004, five, six, when you were just getting started the depth in college tennis? Like the the example I'd point. You know, the 2005 number one team can probably still compete with this year's number one team, but its team that's ranked 40, 50 nowadays would just blow out their 2005 counterpart. Totally. I think the recruiting is in, in, in 2000 to 2010, you know, you, you feel like you're cutting edge to be like on Facebook and contacting every (laughs) player in the world, you know, and now that's just like, every coach in the country talks to every player in the world in some way or another. So like, you're not really, you don't really have a competitive advantage for out grinding your opponent in the recruiting world. I think it's just because everybody does it. There's no, there's no secret, you know, back then though, it's like, you know, kind of building Memphis was, um, was just working, just worked hard. I was on it all the time and uh, trying to contact every player in the world and that everybody does that now. And so, there's a lot of good players in the world and there's a lot of good coaches. And so I just think more coaches are contacting all the top players and uh, doing a great job. Mm-hmm. So. And from that recruiting, since you brought up recruiting and I want to pick your brain here, some big picture things down the home stretch. Yeah. Uh, you're a transfer yourself. You understand that process. And I'm, it's obviously a lot <clears throat> different, more different now than it is uh, a lot different now than it was when you did it. That said, I'm curious from a coaching perspective, from a roster uh, construction standpoint, how do you balance bringing in four-year players, players you're going to be able to build the uh, program around versus knowing, hey, if I go look on the transfer portal, I can find a five, I can find a six, I can find someone in a pinch. How do you balance those two things? Yes. Well, right now, we're we're probably going to be in a a routine of leaving a scholarship open always. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, because there is an advantage to having someone come in that has a lot of experience that knows the system versus having someone come in that has no idea what what college tennis is or what's going on. And so, but the other advantage is is that you know most of the people in the portal already. And so, a lot of the transfers in the transfer portal that we end up talking to, it's like, oh, we to, I talked to you, you know, three, four, five years ago in the original recruiting process. And so, um, I think that happens as well. But no, I think it's a big deal, and I don't think it's going away anytime soon. And I think a lot of people thought that it was going to end up being a, um, you know, maybe a, a two to four year span because of COVID. And I think that that's only going to just magnify it and like multiply it more. I think it's here and it's not going anywhere. So you need, you need the right fit. I think it also speeds up the process sometimes. It's like a lot of your transfers want to get to the point. Mm-hmm. you know they don't you know official visits and all the fluffy stuff that goes on it's like they're kind of almost over it mm-hmm. uh in a lot of ways it's refreshing because you can you can get down to the nitty-gritty and the nuts and bolts of how the the program operates and they either like it or they don't like it and um th- there is something nice about that from the coaching standpoint of man versus starting this 
three to four year grind of following these players and then pursuing them that way is uh, it's, it's exhausting. And sometimes you don't even get to those conversations that you want to get to. So we're um, transfer Christian university uh, and we're, we're for it. (laughs) That's good. I like it. No, I think everyone, again, if you have a T in your school nowadays, it stands for transfer. With that said, give me the pitch. Why should I come down to Fort Worth? Why should I be a Horned Frog moving forward? Yeah, well, I would just say uh, person first, player second. Uh, that's the biggest thing. There's so You're interviewing all Power 5 coaches, and so, look, everybody's got a beautiful facility. Uh, everybody's got uh, great academic structures that can support you, strength and conditioning, weight rooms, facilities galore, go on and on and on, and so... I, I think just uh, from my experience as a player in college, I had <clears throat> I had a coach really invest in me as a person, mm-hmm. and that turned into being a better player afterwards. And so we're just always going to take an inside-out approach with our players and do what we feel like is best for them uh, to become better people. And then I, I genuinely think that overflows into them being the best that they can be. And so... Uh, that's what we do here at TCU, uh, great staff, uh, family oriented place. And, uh, you know, you get to work alongside the one and only David Roditi as well. <laughs> okay. Let's be honest. He makes things pretty exciting around here. Yeah. I don't know. Slightly overrated. Um, no. Yeah. I think he's the coach who's appeared the most on the cracked interviews podcast of any coach we've had. And so. <laughs> Yes, I would agree. Definitely uh, a fan of his work. And yeah, all you guys are doing down at TCU. Again, you've turned Fort Worth. You know, TCU is not a traditional power, you know, tennis powerhouse. And you guys have turned it into one of the buzzing communities in all of college tennis. All right. With that said, let's get particularly funky down the home stretch. Okay, I've got wow. some, I've, yeah, I've got some format questions for you. And oh, I know we talked about it earlier. Does is the college tennis product marketing, which, you know, if you're focusing on one or the other, which do you pick? You said the marketing, but let's just have some fun with the product here down the home stretch. And let's just start, you know, I, I talked about the doubles point, the rat race that it is. 40 minutes, I argue it's the 40 most exciting minutes in all of college tennis. Yeah. Uh, my feeling, though, after that, and one coach phrased it to me as you're creating a permission structure for fans to leave is that there's that lull after doubles, that there are, you know, 30 minutes, whether it's the five-minute break, and, you know, at TCU, you've got bounce houses, you've got food trucks, you can do all these different things to keep fans, parents, kids engaged, and that's obviously super exciting, but do you worry about that from the product side? Do you feel that lull? Totally. No, Mm -hmm. it's there for sure. The most exciting part is the doubles, and so, um, you know, there's definitely format options you know, there you have most of these schools that have the six courts and the facilities. I don't think your athletic department is looking to renovate college tennis facilities at a massive, massive expense right now. So I think fitting it into what you have right now is a good idea because there's a lot of beautiful mm-hmm. tennis facilities that have been built and structured upon the current format. So having a format that does work within the current confines of, of all of our facilities, I think is important. Um, I've heard the f- you know, four singles, one doubles and, and everything else. Um, I like the substitution idea. Um, there's a lot of things I'm up for anything to go for it. I mean, I think you have such a long season in your fall 
if the fall does remain the same, to do whatever you want traditionally, mm-hmm. that I think you go for it with the dual matches and make them as exciting as possible. And so uh, I like the simultaneous play a little bit or making the doubles worth more points. Um, you know, obviously everybody would love to have a three-all doubles clincher. Uh, yeah. So putting it at the end is a, is a great idea, but only if it gets to three all so if you maybe made it worth more points at the end that could be something but uh, i don't know you all have covered a lot of great options and so where have you landed because i know you've heard a ton of feedback from coaches like what's your like if you had to choose a dual match format to go with right now that's the most exciting what would you decide? Well, you just want to get me in trouble is what I'm starting to learn here because I try to purposefully stay. So I, I try to convey the opinion of the idea I'm stressing because I feel like if I'm excited about it, you're just not immediately going to shut it down. I mean, look, do I consider myself a progressive thinker? Yeah, in all aspects of life. That said, I love the dual match format. Like anyone who thinks I have an agenda to destroy college tennis as is, and I don't think there's anyone out there who thinks that. But, like, that could not be further from the truth. I would have stuck two out of three sets doubles. Like, I would watch that. I would do all of these things. I also think, though, as you turn 26 years old, you have to balance your joy of the tennis itself with understanding it's still a commercial product. And ultimately, it's not what do we do for the hardcore fans. It's what do we do for all the fans to make it the most engaging product. Every direction, every indication, every study you read says matches have to be two to three hours. Like that no one is going to stay longer than that. And if you can get it even shorter than two hours, that's great. Now, I propose a lot of gimmicks for sure. I love substitute. Like I'd be all in on substitutions in particular. And this is a John Parsons idea. But if there's an injury, a match should never end in a withdrawal. Just let someone from the bench go play. Like you don't think they would appreciate that. Even down 6-1-4, you know, like 2-0, you'd be like, well, thank you for the hour. At least I get to play today. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so I'm very much for substitutions. I love the doubles point so much <laughs> is the real truth. Like that's my, I just don't want to get rid of the doubles point. And I simultaneous start does get rid of it, which is the issue. And I just don't think one flight of doubles does it justice. It's the rat right. race. And like, yeah, that to me is the concern is like, I would sacrifice singles for the for the sake of doubles. Yeah. Like I just you cannot get rid of the doubles as a property. Sure. But if you ask me 10 years from now what's the format in college tennis going to be, I would guess simultaneous start. That yeah. would be my guess, not not by preference, but that would be my guess because I just think that yeah. 2 to 3 hour is the key. And you're going with one doubles and four singles? <sighs> I think so. Like sadly. Yeah. I mean, cuz then you the doubles wanna... players can sub in. Oh, you could do some don't, fun don't, rules. Don't cry on the show. Okay? I know. I'm, I'm emotional do right it. now. You hear don't the tears it, coming. It's I just, okay. I, just, I care it's so okay. much. So much. Um, no, it's just, it's. Uh, it's just the ad side poach. I mean, come Yeah, on. exactly. Do I want to sacrifice that? I would say, well, the thing is you already have no ad scoring. And you already have essentially minimized two out of three sets. Yeah. Now, there is some appeal to me of, you know, playing that double second to your point because i love the the idea of a rat race final and i think if there's excitement still to be had it's more likely to get people to stay than like right. oh we're waiting on one match to finish um uh i say it holds for the next five years crack yeah. rackets tv creates this huge breakthrough and then we never have to worry about changing the format again yes <laughs> yeah okay. that's the way we go. for everyone 
Okay. Yeah. What about coin toss idea? Since I know you heard it, would you play a point out? We get rid of the coin toss. One point. Head coach versus head coach. Drop and hit. Winner decides the serving arrangements. Can I defer to your question? If defer please. the defer. Defer. Yeah. So I, you can <laughs> you can defer. I that my 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 coin toss philosophy is to defer always. Really. So. I was just throwing that in there. That's good. I like that. Yeah, um, you you pick. That's funny. (laughs) You're getting it now. Yeah, Yeah, there we go. Um, I've never heard that. Yeah. It would be better, for sure. Like, you versus Joey, you versus any of... I'm in. I love it. I love it. Yeah, exactly. Plus, accountability. You lose three in a row, you're telling me the team doesn't come up to you and say, look, coach. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Yes, I'm for that, for sure. All right. Um, these are the things well, I'm going to be we, uh, continuing to push. We've introduced a lot of things in the Big 12, you know, our fan yeah. rules the last couple of years. We could, we, should that start in the Big 12? I will tell you this. If it's introduced, no one will take it more seriously than Chris Young. Like, I can okay. just, I can lock Is that Is anybody going to come out with the coaches' rankings of, like, <laughs> of coachability or not coachability, like, player? Do we have a, do we have a ranking of, like, current coaches' playing ability? Yeah, the problem is how do you – so great question, one I've thought about before, sadly. The question is so like how do you weigh how good a Paul Goldstein was or Chris Woodruff was with the fact that like Trevor Fauché would crush all of them now because he's three years removed or two years removed or whatever, and so life's just a little bit easier for him. Uh, But like that said, when I watch Stella play – and like all of these mat, yes. Like this is why I suggested because one point get the crowd going behind you. Yeah, I'm in. Okay, I don't know if there's enough trainers on site for this one point, yeah. but we'll. <laughs> yeah, we work it. Yeah, the 10 minute warm up in between doubles and singles. It's not a warm up anymore. It's just to make sure the coach is healthy. It's like yeah, he's down. <laughs> yeah, we got to get him off the court. It takes 10 minutes to wheelchair them off. <laughs> um. All right. With all that said, last two serious ones for you. Okay. Should should the winner of the NCAAs get a wild card regardless of nationality? Yes. Unequivocally. All right. We, yes. Yeah, I think we can blitz through that. Yes. Okay. I'm a, I'm almost I'm a little so it seems like Wimbledon Australian Open have really jumped on board with rewarding their top college players. Obviously, mm-hmm. we've always done that in the United States. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not sure about France and their. Um, passion for college tennis. I know we have Luke Famba here, and you know one of the one of the normal questions I asked him, you know, last year was like, "Oh, you're going to play French Open? You know, are you get And um, you know, that's a normal question if you're talking to Cameron Norrie or some of the Brits, sure. you know, or, or even some of the Australians, you know. But that was definitely caught him off guard. That doesn't seem to be a normal thing. So I would like to see more globally the all the Grand Slams or even all the events support their country. If, if you're What's the biggest tournament in Germany? Uh, you know, why are there not wild cards for this, the, the, the number one German player in college tennis? Um, it's a really high level. You know that they're moving in the direction of being the best in the world. So, um, you know, I, I know that the USTA has deals already with uh, England and Australia for how wild cards are distributed. So I don't know. That, that's a tough one, but I would be, I would be for it. Um, you're, you're, you're doing that on, on American soil. You're, you're not an American, but I think there would be some fan attraction to knowing a college 
student athlete is here participating regardless of, of their nationality. So I agree. And good, while good. it is an international sport, I don't want to say if the burden of college tennis is going to fall on the USTA, but if they are the largest invested entity, you should double down on that fact. Right. Like you should, again, Paul Jubb and Stella Perez-Somariba are just as good of representatives of college tennis, in my opinion, as a Sam Riffis is, as a yeah. Emma Navarro is. And so totally. I would completely agree with you there. Uh, the, the last one I would say, and I meant to throw this in earlier, but the eight-hour rule. I know you're at that part of the season now, and to me, this is one of the most frustrating parts of the calendar construct. This is just like you have a dead period right before the dual match season starts, which is just helpful for no one. Um, would you like to see that rule reexamined? I know that's an NCAA edict, but how frequently are you put in positions where players come to you and say, Coach, can you work with me today? And you're just like, I can't. You've hit your four. Yes, it's actually it's – actually- really difficult for your uh, Americans more than your internationals. Some of your top international players can get the exemption through their national, through their federation and things like that. Um, but it's tough. I mean, that's, that's the only way that you can work around that and be compliant right now is to have an exemption from your federation, allow you to, to work towards Olympics or professional sports or, but that's so rare. And so, yeah, the benefit for, uh, the normal college player having to go, you know, four hours of tennis, four hours of meetings or, or fitness in those eight hours is pretty tough. Uh, in saying that, I'm coming on the heels of three years of a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of just unfortunate injuries. And we, we have really uh, focused a lot on our recovery and uh, just physical, mental, emotional health and you know, so in some aspects, yeah, I wish they would just include a voluntary option, you know, mm -hmm. and so I don't know if I want to see it go to like wide open because I think coaches could get into a situation where maybe they're not intentionally abusing that onto the players, but it would just be like unintentional competitiveness. You're maybe driving players a little bit too much when they would want to break, but you know, the voluntary rule always has, has been weird to me that it's, it's labeled as voluntary practice, but they can't ask for it in that period. So it's like, okay, well, whatever. Yeah. Uh, well, the re uh, follow up would be, and I'm not, it's not a trick question here, but when you were playing Clemson, Memphis, did you have any idea who your compliance officer was? The reason I ask being, I am 100% certain that every player on your roster knows who the compliance officer at TCU is. And I'm yes. like very certain that in 2021 or 2022, said student could look at the compliance officer and be like, this is me talking. This is not coach. Like, I, you know me. I am right. asking for it. I just feel like that scenario exists now. 100% exists now. And no, I did not know those people when I was in college, <laughs> yeah. you know, which feels like a long time ago, but I guess it yeah. was you know, 15 to 20 years ago. So no, no, everything's much more out in the open now. And yeah. uh, no, it could totally be done. Um, so yeah, how no. that happens is a more getting everybody on the same page and going through the normal process, I guess, with our ITA board and then on to the NCA reps. And, um, but it's all, that's also a tricky thing right now because you have a lot on the NCA's plate and you have a lot on athletic departments plate. So there is this, there is a, a delicacy to how we go about building our sport and building our brand that mm -hmm. we, we be as creative and innovative as much as we can 
without needing that those big rule changes and things. I think that's one part that we need to be careful about as a, as a body is like, we do not need to knock on the door of the NCA unless it's some, we're ready to roll and we have everything laid out and we're ready to come in with some big changes. I, I don't think it's the time to come with, with little bitty changes with them, with all that they're handling right now. That's not mm-hmm. an attractive look. No, that, no, I, I think that's a very good point. And that's why we flush out the ideas here so that mm-hmm. we have our concrete list to send to them moving mm-hmm. forward. But with all that said, my final question for you, and I appreciate how gracious you've been with your time. When fans watch your team compete this season, other than, you know, keeping them as the hidden gem, which we're trying to do here on this podcast, this whole pod was done as a whisper. We'll update all the audio. Uh, But with that said, what do you want the takeaway to be when we watch your team compete this season? Uh, Tons of fun, tons of competitive passion. And uh, I want the takeaway to be that we're going to win this year. And Mm -hmm. we're not ashamed to do that. And, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of process-oriented coaching that goes into getting getting the wins and we're going to be all about that but i also know that uh i want our fans tcu fans to know that they're going to come to the courts and and see a lot of victories this year and so our girls have put in the work and uh they're going to see a a feisty team and a fiery team that's 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 on the hunt we're on the hunt this spring no i love it 10 years from now the federers play lewis and samuel who wins that doubles duo man well you know it's going to be i would say pickleball my my boys they they take it for sure i love it um doubles they take it for sure (laughs) um singles um i'm probably one of them is gonna get coded and defaulted one of my boys probably samuel lewis is gonna get several time violations because of too much dialogue with the the umpire uh yeah they probably won't finish those singles matches yeah but i'm gonna give us i'm gonna give us the w and the pickleball w and the doubles and no doubt i like it lewis sees samuel get coded and he's like well i gotta get coded now exactly is this what we're doing so of course well again coach thank you so much for taking the time to chat today uh appreciate your tolerance for all of my nonsense appreciate you allowing me to thanks no thank you alex hey recruiting cutthroat ele yeah got it the basics the foundations i mean do you want to give me the donors in my life have a parent who puts up with your nonsense those are my biggest donors um throughout so that's throughout the course of life um but yeah that's the other things right to solicit good donors um i don't know don't play ty tucker when you don't have to yeah things like that um yeah that's the alex gruskin playbook but uh no with all that said again thank you so much for taking the time to chat today obviously wishing you and your team safety health success throughout 2022 and we'll have to get you back on the show when it's no longer a secret and we can talk openly about your team's success love that appreciate it alex thank you yeah of course take care coach all right have a good one